be careful of your your plushies behind you. Oh, we'll try. I know. Okay. <laughs> Attack of the plushies. Yeah, you got a lot. <laughs> I Skybecker Yamakawa and Catherine Moore. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Sky. What are you working on this week? This week, I'm starting sketching for an upcoming show called Location Scout. It's a new type of show that Gallery 1988 is doing. And it's going to be basically, we're drawing, not drawing, but painting, whatever. I guess you can draw, but famous movie houses or locations or stuff like that that are instantly recognizable so I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be doing the poltergeist house but I want to get some more sketches done to make sure (laughs) okay cool well that's a subject that you visited before on your own yeah I have I visited before on my own the piece I did I did it digitally and I really want to do an actual painting of it so it'll be bigger and I like working digitally for some things but I always feel like it doesn't quite look like my work. <laughs> I don't know if that I'm just detached from it being it's digital as opposed to something that's tactile. There's a computer in the way. Yeah, there's a computer in the way. <laughs> <A> monitor. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've had people tell me, I was like, oh yeah, it looks like your work. I was like, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like it to me. So I do actually want to revisit it again, but I, I think that's where I'm leaning right now. As I'm sketching this week, it might change, but right now it's kind of leading towards doing the poltergeist house. I think it'd be fun. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. How about you? What are you working on this week? I have just finished my first large painting for the new year. I'm in the midst of my second large piece Mm -hmm. and trying to put together a small collection of pieces to offer for Mother's Day. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So So for large pieces, how big, like how big is large? It depends. So some of them, I have a few that are 14 by 18. The one I just finished is a 24 by 24, but I have some that go up to, I forget, I think it's 24 by 28. Well, that's pretty a good size. I have some 24 by 36s. I have a bunch of those. I have the sketches prepared. Mm -hmm. And one of the pieces is fully blocked in. It probably like literally will take two weeks to a week to finish. And you just sit there. I should do that. Yeah, (laughs) Right? right, right, right. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. So yeah, just plowing through <laughs> and we're, om- we're almost in spring. So this is I know crazy. amazing, right? <laughs> yeah. We'll be right back to interview Attaboy. Feeling the drabs for those suffering from the mundane, ask your doctor about Sky's art in studies, art and color have proven to promote inspiration, confidence, and in many cases relieved symptoms of anxiety and depression. Sky's art delivers in sometimes a single dose, the relief one may feel from the mundane with artisanally applied color, composition, and a bit of art history. 
Use Sky's art only as directed. Some side effects may include ebullience, gratification, tranquility, a meditative state, and in rare cases, orgasm. Don't take Sky's art with obstination or unwavering shrewdness. If experiencing interesting conversation lasting more than four days while viewing Sky's art, seek medical help immediately. Sky's art, it's time to live right. For more information, visit skiesart.com. Hello and welcome back. Today we are here with Daniel Attaboy Seifert. How are you? I'm working on it. I'm good. I'm <laughs> good. Working on living. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Still yeah. breathing in and out. New year, new health insurance changes. Yeah. Our will, you know, that's yeah. what we're dealing with. But yeah, no, we're here. Fighting another day, which is a privilege in itself. <laughs> Correct. Right. <laughs> Where did you grow up? Oh, grow up. Well, somebody the other day told me I should grow up, <laughs> which so I don't know if I have. He says, I because they were commenting on Carrot Top being Carrot Top and the way Carrot Top looks. And I said, the best, they said, which team are you on Carrot Top? And I said, well, you know, the best team is the wear whatever you want team and to be whoever you want team. And then they said, that's not the way the world works or something. You should grow up. And I was like, huh. Yeah, so I'm not sure if I ever have grown up because I think <laughs> such things. Where were you small? I was yeah. small. Where were you um, tiny? Okay, Where were you well, tiny? <laughs> yeah. Well, there was a womb involved, um, but um, no, I was, uh, let's see, I was born in Oceanside on Long Island. Then I moved down to Florida for a bit. And then we moved back to New York on to Long Island, lived there, went to school in New York City at FIT, and then uh, went to Massachusetts for a couple of years. And then ended up here in the West Coast. And I don't think I'll, I or we will ever leave the West Coast. I think uh, kind of fell in love with the West Coast, particularly. How long have you been on the West Coast? Since 98. Since 98. Okay. Yep. I came out here to work. Well, I came out here to do performance poetry, we'll call it. and But really, I got a job to or I got a job at Koosh Odds On um, making toys and doing toys for their bubble line and their the Koosh people. Yeah. So, but really, I came out here because I wanted to do stand-up poetry, I'll call it. Nice. <laughs> cool. I ended up doing. So that Have you always been in the East Bay? Yes, always in the East Bay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Always in the East Bay. I lived in... Uh, place called Albany which is kind of close oh, to Richmond Albany. it was kind of like yeah kind of like uh Berkeley light although the guys from Rancid came from from Albany which is pretty silly. yeah <laughs> yeah they name drop Albany a lot as if it's a tough location I know it's like ooh, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's that's... like I took the number 43 bus up the hill by the racetrack and I'm like it's kind of nice over there because <laughs> this is exactly where we lived yeah <laughs> And I was like, I'm taking the number 43 bus by the racetrack. It's, it's right. the farmer's market is pretty nice, too. I've heard like Oakland's like Compton, but never Albany. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> okay, my husband is from Compton, and he can tell you right now that Oakland does not like that Okay. <laughs> you, well, you obviously said you went to college for art. You went to FIT? Yes, Fashion Institute of Technology. I went there originally for illustration. Well, I, 
I thought I was going for graphic design. I took the wrong test and I ended up in the illustration program because I'm not good with following the directions and then ended up in the toy program there at, at FID. It kind of saved my life and kind of, I still think it's a toy designer. I think uh, the way I process everything is through that way, even though I don't do toy design that way. I do fine art now, but yeah, that kind of kind of saved my life, I think, you know, creatively. And I don't know, it, it told me that I can do fun things. I could be seriously stupid, I think is that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned your studio is located in Albany. Uh, well, yeah, we're in Richmond. We're in Richmond. Richmond. Yeah. Okay. And what medium do you primarily use? Oh, boy. Uh, I don't know. Looking around here, <laughs> uh, I use a, a lot of water-based things, things that dry quickly. Is uh-huh. the blanket answer, I guess, because I like to touch paint when it's drying. So I ended up working on multiple things at once, whether they're painting, sculpture, and I mean all at once, kind of tend to be like a bee that pollinates different different actual things at the same time. So you'll see similar colors with everything. I think I'm in this weird kind of bruised orange phase or something. So everything's either orangey, purpley, bruisey, and I, I'm not very happy with that right now, but that's what Aww. I'm at. That's probably out of laziness because things are close by. And then I go, well, purple's good. And orange, okay, here I am. You know, it's just what I had left over. And if I run out of purple or orange, it'll probably shift to something else. So that's kind of how it works, whatever's closest. But no, I do a lot of uh, painting on wood, cut wood, and now a lot of cardboard and paper and upcycled materials as well. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, we'll talk about it a little later. I'm very curious to hear more about the cardboard upcycled Mm -hmm. materials (laughs) Mm -hmm. but we'll get into that Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay you said you started your career as a toy designer Mm -hmm. and then I saw that you also taught toy design at the academy of art which is my alma mater (laughs) for many years so yeah Yeah. so that's where I graduated from but yeah my wife my wife Annie graduated from there too oh yay that's great when did she graduate I'm not sure I'm yeah, not, I'm not yeah, sure. A while ago, the '96 or so. Oh, okay. Probably around there in film. Did you go for film? So I'm curious. Did did teaching come naturally to you? Surprisingly, yes. Uh, I mean, I taught there one day a week, so I taught. Okay. Yeah, one day a week mm-hmm. while I was doing everything else, and it was kind of good. It got me out of the house. Also, I learned a lot. Honestly, I just kept learning from the students more than anything else. I never vocalized the process and things before, so. It was interesting to learn, and I picked up so many little tricks and things and also refined, I guess, what they call my practice, whatever that is, over the years. But yeah, no, I taught there for, it seems like it was 20 years. I think it was 20 years. Yeah, for one day a week, though, taught toy one, two, three in grad, all all different times. Yeah, sometimes the classes were two, sometimes seven or ten. But I, I lumped them all together because I really just, I don't like commuting. So I just did that once a week. Right. So you taught multiple classes, Levels. but in just one day. Yes, in one day. Yeah, yeah that's fine. <laughs> Which, actually, I thought that was pretty great because the more experienced uh, students could help me and reinforce things. They all had different projects. Uh, it also, I'm pretty, uh, I have a lot of energy with mm-hmm. students and it kind of was good. I get to kind of pace myself a little bit. I think I'm a little bit, I, I learned over the years to give them lunch breaks by themselves without me, I give them a lot of time without me and not to be a friend because they need a break from me. 
<laughs> and they need to talk amongst themselves and go, okay, how do we deal with this guy? Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of, uh, so we need a strategy and it kind of built a unity so that they can, you know, they can kind of unify against me. And, right. No, no, they, they were actually. <laughs> you gotta have that. <laughs> Those students have gone on to be much more successful than I in in a lot of different ways, numerically mm -hmm. speaking. So <laughs> they're at Mattel, they're at Spin Master, they're at Leapfrog, they're at Netflix. They're wow. I come from working class roots, and uh, like the toy design. Like I said, the toy design program really changed my life in a lot of different ways and made me professional for whatever that is and it was really kind of a privilege and an honor to help them get placed at different places whether you know um and I placed during 2021 placed my last student after which I was very happy with because he was working at the U.S. mail to shut down and everything and he was he was if he took my class twice it was pretty much like okay now we're serious and now we're going to, you're a toy too. We're going to start getting into things. And uh, we worked together to find a finesse's portfolio and things, but he was fantastic to begin with. That's and awesome. Just a really great guy. And now he lives in Florida, works for a toy company and his wife does TV novellas. Wow. So we're all good. That's very <laughs> cool. I'm, I'm curious. So is the toy design, is that under industrial, the industrial yeah, design the industrial department? Design, yeah. yeah. And, the, and my, uh, the chair over there is this guy, Tom Matano, and he was fantastic with me. And I think I, I was hired the year before him. Uh, he got there. I got to write the syllabus and pretty much change the, uh, it, it's the one thing I could ever do. I think one of the few things I can do without any real notes or anything. Uh, the notes were just to keep me kind of bound or focused on what we wanted to accomplish. But uh, it was something that was kind of, I really like doing it. It's weird. I, I don't do it anymore for a lot of different reasons, uh, mostly time. So you said that you learned a lot teaching. So what was the biggest lesson you learned from teaching your craft to others? I think it helped realize that I don't, I'm not a good planner, that I like to make, what's the word? I need, need to make, I'm doing a talk soon, so I got to figure this out as well. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm not good with talks more in Q and A's I can go on forever. The process of what I really enjoyed about the process, which is making sketch models, actually. Mm -hmm. It's weird, but for years I was doing concepts and doing only drawing and things when I was at toy companies, but I do very little drawing now, but I go straight to paint. So I like to draw with paint and I like to sculpt with cardboard and I like to fail fast and make things and, and just stumble and stumble and stumble, get rid of things, hopefully, that don't work, cut things off, hack it apart, put it together, make a next painting, do more than needed, and then pick out what works. And I find that that process is less frustrating for me. Also, it's I, I can experiment more and work faster. And so... If I used to plan things out with drawings and then, you know, duplicate those drawings and then do make paintings based on those drawings, that is not me anymore. My wife does that and that's how she works and she refines her paintings and it works really great for her. But for me, I just know I, I need to have play involved. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that play and experimenting and and that usually goes in cycles, too. I'll be back to a theme or a approach that I was doing several years before. And I just thought I abandoned that completely. And now I'm back to that, but, but with canvas or cardboard or something else, you know, that it taught me how to do that. Also that I like to work with people. I think some mm -hmm. of the best things I've ever done has been with other people. You have an incredibly impressive career, fine artist, toy designer, 
professor, author, magazine publisher, and more, I'm sure. <laughs> so I've been purchasing, you know, subscriptions and issues of High Fructose and the giant books with all the interviews. Can you tell us about the birth of the magazine, how it all came about? Well, High Fructose is a, it's a discussion in the pages of High Fructose is like a just ongoing discussion between Annie and I. It's really curated. It's different than other magazines. And I don't think we could operate like other, maybe we could operate like other magazines, but that's, so we started it almost as a dare. <laughs> a bunch of years ago, we we ended up on top of a waterfall in, in Portland, Noma Falls or whatever. And then we realized, uh, I said, well, did you want to go up here? And she's like, no, I thought you wanted to go up here. And, and I'm like, oh, I thought you wanted to go up here. So that's kind of how the magazine started too. <laughs> It's just, I thought you wanted to make a magazine and dedicate our life to a, a, a dying uh, format. And, and uh, I said, yeah, well, really? I thought you wanted to. And here we are uh, 18 years later. So that's kind of how we started. Uh, we realized there wasn't a lot of things out there for us. We both have different takes on everything, by the way. And that's kind of, and, uh, and different stances and approaches and things. And most smart things I say probably come from her. Just that that's a, footnote for this whole thing a lot of the terminology and things that we've used over the years have developed through both of us and and just debating things and figuring things out but uh, we did not go to school for journalism or publishing or business and so for us to be here today doing things is pretty ridiculous wow but maybe that's what makes it good you know uh, hopefully it's good if you're still reading it if people are still getting it then then it there must be a, a need for that. So hopefully that, that's encouraging. Uh, but people's subscriptions do matter to us. Our business model is very different where everything, most ad, most uh, magazines and things are ad focused or that's their focus is serving ads to people. And we serve, I don't know what it is, art, uh, art from all around the world to people. And the ads kind of come to us and the advertisers know what they're going to get and they know what to expect with us. And so I also think the readers really like the ads in our magazine because they're interesting. Mm -hmm. um, they're not just selling at people. They're showing you what's going on. You know, so that's a different business model. It's harder to sustain in an age where paper costs have, have doubled recently and where distributors are squeezing small independent publishers left and right. So it's, and consolidating. People don't realize that during the pandemic, it was everybody started using cardboard boxes and cardboard boxes had a big, big effect on the book and magazine publishing because paper plants uh, started consolidating and they make more money selling cardboard boxes than they do making uh, books and magazines and printed materials. So the price of books and, and that's why a Kurt Vonnegut novel that's really tiny and floppy at soft cover can be $17 now. And you're like, how is this $17? It's like, well, it's because of that. Uh, so who would have thought? Right. So you're saying you, you have to print the magazine on cardboard. No. <laughs> yeah, we would. Actually, that would be interesting. But I think it's a lot less hassle for them to make cardboard boxes and they could sell them for more. You know, have you ever bought a cardboard box? They're crazy expensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but we, we never really figured out the accounting. I think we just kept on making the thing and, and then people kept buying them and we kept selling out of them. Uh, and the ones that we made more of, they sold out eventually. So that's just kind of how it worked. Sounds like artists. Yeah. It's kind of it. I mean, it's, it's done that way. So probably not the best way to make things, but it's how we've done it. It's kind of maybe how we stood out from all the competing things out there or why people really enjoy getting it. 
you know, they seem to be, which is great. And we also have social media things and Facebook, Instagram and everything. And, and, you know, but what is, what is a million plus followers on Instagram really worth when somebody's dictating who sees it, when, and everything. How frequently does the magazine come out annually? Uh, four times a year. It's a okay. quarterly. It's always been a quarterly too. Okay. And then you have how many of those, the big books that have the comp, there's like four of them. Yeah. There's only four. There's only four. They, they, they compile maybe four issues of each yeah, i think it's four of each one and that those are published by last gasp out of san francisco who did a lot of zap comics robert crumb stuff a lot of early women comics I, I i don't know what the term is but a lot of trina robbins a lot of strange books weird stuff counterculture stuff they're just they're friends of ours and they always they distributed us they were the first to to distribute us and then we ended up doing things with them that we couldn't or couldn't do ourselves we would design a flock to print or something like that all those box set goodies that you were getting that, those are things that we design but it's some, not necessarily something that we could afford outright without this was before kickstarter by the way and things like that and a lot of publishers turned us down and and then but last guest was like no let's do that let's do get even crazier let's do whatever you know Let's have accordion sticker books and face masks by Mark Ryden and weird things. And and thankfully to all the artists that we work with, they uh, seem to trust us to do those kind of odd things because we they I think they 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 know it's going to be done in a quality way. I I hope. Right. I think at one point it's I think it still exists. There's a small high fructose store in Compound Gallery. Is it? There was. There was. Yeah. It was. Uh. You know. Was it was at one location, then another location, and it was a, a cool experiment to see. All well, it was great it was about it was uh, it was great to see everything in one place, to see all of our archives of things we had. Sometimes we put in things there that you, I mean, you really can't find anywhere else, and they were just we have one copy of issue seven or something, and we we put it in there and just be like, you can get it at cover price. We never upcharge any any back issues. That's that's important to us too. Again, we're not smart in that way, <laughs> but uh, we're not here to be eBay sellers. We wanted people who really love the magazine to find things when they go in person, because we always love going to places and finding unique things. And so we always said we had uh, prints there from Pressure Printing, uh, Brad um, over in, in Colorado. He made some, the most amazing prints that you could really you'd appreciate them, but you appreciate them especially in person. Jet Martinez did a mural in the first uh, store, and then I did a, a, a mural in the second one. We had bronze sculptures from Scott Musgrove. We had stuff from Mark Ryden in there. We had a lot of really fun stuff who people came out. And it's interesting to see who came out and when. And we had little micro mega shows in there too, we called them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it was good. It was, a, it was a cool opportunity. It's hard nowadays. Uh, a lot of folks don't go to actual brick and mortar stores. So. And a lot of artists sell direct, so it's a it's a different kind of kind of thing. But we've had different guests show up there and stuff. It was it was fun, fun thing. It was like a lemonade stand, I guess. We've always wanted to do that. Cool. With the the type of art that we're in and we mm -hmm. love and that high fructose sh showcases, I think there's only you guys and literally two other magazines, maybe, and mm -hmm. the other two have a completely different flavor vibe. Mm -hmm and content and i'm curious did you high fructose it's not offered digitally 
No, it isn't. It, it was for a bit. It was on Google Play for a while, but then Google Play wanted to divide up the the articles into different and and to sell services to Google Play. So pretty much, Google Play was becoming what is this is a really dated term, but but Reader's Digest. So that's really what it was. Google Play became Reader's Digest, and Apple News is the same way, where they they'll grab people's interest and feed them different articles from different publications where our print publication is really different. So everything is print exclusive. You know, the digital thing was an experiment that we did, but we only wanted it to see in the context of that magazine right now. I think they can get it through EBSCO libraries. So research librarians can, can kind of research it digitally for reports and things like that, or military people can do that. That was something where we were interested in. It just didn't feel right. And it was weird. Oh, oh, the other thing is they didn't want to pay us. That was the other thing. So so Google Play didn't want to pay. Oh, wow. I, I, I forgot how it was, but it didn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense. So people would subscribe. You couldn't get a subscription to it. We've never been print on demand. There's a lot of magazines out there that are still print on demand. And, you you know, uh, we don't do that. We actually print. We just got a shipment today, like right before this, this Zoom here. And it comes in and some of them get beat up and we got to take photos and send it to the printer and be like, listen, we had collateral damage on these guys. And mm-hmm. so it's just, um, we've always done that. And because people, we wanted people to see the paper, feel it and smell it. There's something smelling <laughs> about paper that's different. We've always tried to use the medium. We've had special things in the back from Viewmaster Reels to subscribers have got air fresheners and weird monster shaped air fresheners to strange monkey toys to all sorts of weird things we put in the mail. We also really like the power of mail. There's something about getting something in physical mailbox that isn't a bill, which is kind of nice, you know. Right, right. So you said you just got in a brand new shipment. So the, let's see. There was Lola Gill, James That's Jean was on the cover. Yeah, so Lola's, yeah, this, uh, okay. 69 just came in. Okay. It's funny, if I count up to 69, I get tired. But when I think about it, each one of those was just kind of like taking a pound of flesh and just smashing it out, flattening it up, making it into like a cookie sheet and making that into magazines. I mean, that's kind of how it feels. Chances are, if you ask us who's in what, we'll know, or we'll be pretty close, or we'll we'll go, okay, that's when my dad died. Okay, that's when this happened. These things mean stuff to us. Right. Again, we don't know. We're in a bubble. We don't really have a lot of magazine publisher friends to talk to. So we just kind of learned this stuff as we go. Early on, they put us in the food section because we were high fructose. <laughs> right. Well, if you look it up on Amazon or like even just on Google in general, right, it comes up with food. Oh, like, no, uh, yeah. Unless you put HI in there, um, you know, but yeah, it was, I mean, it's been, there's labor love means you're not making it a career or you're not making money from it. So it's not a labor of love, but it was a, it's certainly labor and there was certainly a lot of love. So I don't know what this is, but it was definitely something that's taken our life force from us and hopefully for good reasons. You got me on a weird day. <laughs> I mean, there's certain things we're really proud of and whether people read those articles or love those articles, there's certain ones that we just love and for different reasons. And Annie and I, we curate it together and we always have in our writers make us smart, you know, and she, <laughs> she pretty much deals uh, deals with or heads up the, the chart with the writers, but we both battle it out. There's certain artists that we've been lobbying each other for like three or four issues that we're still trying to get in to each other. <laughs> We shoot each other down all the time and we're used to it. And that's just how it works. 
how do you typically discover an artist who you show in the magazine? All over. That's just what we do. It's how we live. It's uh, <laughs> Annie has a different aesthetic than I do, but we both know what an issue needs. And it's really interesting. At a certain point we go, we know what this needs. And so we try to curate each one. So there's something surprising in each one. And sometimes it's like, oh, wow, I guess we were really in the mood for real kind of surreal, strange stuff this time. And even though everything was different or different mediums or different places or different levels of different approaches or certain things would be more highbrow or, or blue chip or folk or outsider right next to somebody who's more retail friendly, we'll say. But to us, it's it can that's the fun of it. And we've always been that way since issue one, which was actually a really different thing for the time when we started in 2005. People didn't do that. It was one thing or another. It was either lowbrow or high art or whatever. And to us, it was like hitting the reset button in the art world in our little heads. That was it. <laughs> what if all that stuff didn't exist? What if you just looked at it and said, wow, is this interesting? Is this, is this worth investigating more? <laughs> just to wrap up any discussion of high fructose, which to me, it's I think it's still really important in the art world. I just know so many artists that were just like, if I could just get into high fructose. Like, it was oh, just well, That's an amazing compliment. And I'll tell any of that for sure. We used to get a lot more letters. Now we get a lot more emails, but that means a lot to us. It's not hard to get our our eyes welling up because we we're in the trenches a lot and it's it's hard yeah some days are really hard with just you know keeping it fresh and doing new things and and finding when we started they said print was dead that's when we started yeah so uh and and I think there's something about it like you know do you show your mom and your dad an article a write-up from some listicle kind of interview thing mm -hmm online or do you send them a copy of a magazine when you get real cover right I, there's something to that i think and it still is and and, and galleries too because each one of those things is an investment for us too mm -hmm. so when we cover we actually it's not just we can't just edit it on the fly either once it's on paper it's on paper discussing like how important your magazine has been for the art world and artists in general. And you had discussed earlier about we came up with different terms you and annie and i saw that the term new contemporary was added to your masthead some years ago and it's become a regularly hello kathy speak <laughs> used term in the art world for our listeners how would you describe new contemporary art what does that mean to you for this one i really like to discuss it have annie in on it too okay at the same time but i think just uh, i could say that it's a blanket statement it's redundant it's humorous it's an umbrella term. Pop surrealism wasn't just cutting it. Pop surrealism is great. Underground art is great. We were under the counterculture, which is like a double entendre. Mm -hmm. I think a new contemporary was, that was the same vein. It's it's like postmodernism, which to us, it makes us laugh. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why we put it on there. And that's why we heralded it. So I think it was just kind of this funny thing that made us chuckle. And then when people use it, it makes us laugh even more. You're like, oh, that's awesome. But well, it does I... say something. It's a blanket statement so that we don't have to continuously change what, what is what is lowbrow, what is pop, is what you know, what it what there was a different vein to different feeling. Mm -hmm. I need something that was bigger, but that wasn't just contemporary. And also there's a little wink there, I think, too, which was kind of cool. 
also might make 10% of the people angry. And that's always a good thing. That's always good. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think that's it. But again, that's something I really want her to weigh in on too, because she has a different thing on it as well, which is part of the fun. That's like part of what we do, I think. Where's Annie? Bring her in here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, because it, it's always interesting because I see some artists online or something like that, they use new contemporary and pop surrealism interchangeably. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it sounds to me like what you're saying is kind of a blanket for all of those things. It's not necessarily it means this, but it can mm-hmm. include that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think so. I, I don't want to pin it down, but that's kind of the whole point. You know, and uh, Kirsten Anderson over at Rock LaRue Mm-hmm. Which was heralding pop surrealism for a long time. She wrote that book, Pop Surrealism, which is a really great book. Yeah. Through Last Gasp as well, by the way. And that was different. And I think the first appearance of that was in a, like a Kenny Scharf book or, or something, some sort of a thing mm-hmm. like that. I know Gary Baseman was calling something pervasive art at one point. It's interesting how these terms fly around. What do you think is the future of new contemporary art? Huh. I maybe I don't want to make a comment on that. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> I don't know. Everything seems to merge and, and separate and merge and separate. All of this art will all burn up in the sun, just like the Mona Lisa. Yeah. A couple of eons <laughs> from now. So yeah. hopefully not too soon. But yeah, everything will all burn up. So yeah, the future of new contemporary art and all art in general, including our earth, will all end up becoming a, a, a disgusting ash of a cinder that will float around anyway sorry in the universe (laughs) it was like all (laughs) so we're going to take it all down yeah exactly (laughs) yeah (laughs) maybe we'll just keep it at that okay (laughs) (laughs) i don't know you know what it's exciting to find out how about that as a positive spin it's going to be exciting (laughs) to find out what what goes where what happens people are going to be knitting marble at, with 3d printing you know i don't we don't know we don't know, we don't know. where things are going to go and that's 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 the joy of it your work is fascinating if our audience does not know you are the parent of game of shrooms hmm. can you please explain what that is i'm glad you use the word parent that's really interesting because we, we, we talk a lot about how everybody's a founder nowadays everybody's a founder of this i'm like a founder of my bed sheets and or I'm a founder <laughs> like i found this bed sheet in the corner Parent is kind of interesting, and, and it is more of a parenting thing because Game of Shrooms is something different than I thought was it was going to be. Just like a kid, I guess you, well, like most of us who who are around, we weren't planned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we change, and we're not we're different than our parents probably expected. So that is a great word. It's a fantastic word, and I like it. So I don't know what the question was, but I got hung up with the word parent. Um, <laughs> first it was a way to get out of depression or it that wasn't a plan either I just I did it a lot of bad things were happening with everything just our worlds our personal worlds our family politically everything was just it just didn't seem pretty it it didn't seem things weren't going good and so I started making art on cardboard from the magazine and just hiding it for people to find, which isn't, you know, a lot of people have done things like that before, but I started doing that. I go on all these kind of Hollywood meetings and stuff for animation and entertainment properties and things. I do a lot of weird things, a lot of ideas. And, and, a, and the problem I have is I always follow those ideas until they're really dead and more than undead. They're just like dead, they're undead, then they're dead. And then I, you know, grind them up and, 
And so they're, 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 there's not a pulse ever to come from this idea. And I will follow that all the way to the end. I'm the most ridiculous places and we're working with, because I will, I will just do it. I will do it and I will find a way, or I would just always keep that door open for a different idea. I don't want an idea to die on my watch. So I will always try to at least, and I have no problem with getting rejected or being embarrassed about a concept, an idea, a thought, or anything like that. Usually I just started doing that, hiding those things to kind of change the narrative of my day to have control over it. And I, I think that's important for everybody to have, to realize that we live in a, in a, in a world where everything seems to be like you're responding to everything, whether it's emails or posts or political news or all sorts of, we're just responding all the time. If you're just doing nothing but responding and you feel powerless and, and those little things you do don't get noticed by the algorithm, the world, even people you like or respect. So you can feel really small. And maybe that's weird from hearing from somebody who works, you know, we work on a, and created a magazine. But but even then, I just, it just, everything seemed like it was going the wrong way. So I started doing that. Then I saw other artists doing it and I started getting defensive. And I was like, wait a minute, they're, they're hiding mushrooms too. And then I had to check myself and I said, this is this was working for you. It should work for other people. Don't be an ass. <laughs> and I went, okay. And then I said, okay, what if we all did it all in one day? And that was kind of like a spark. I was like, okay, now let's do it all in one day. And then, because everyone was really enjoying it and I don't want to stand in the way of that. So maybe the concept wasn't just, it wasn't about me. It was about everybody else. And now it's taken off and there's just, you know, 10,000 different people looking for things on that day. And it happens to be a day that's really close to my birthday, usually. <laughs> I don't make that public, but it's really, is kind of like a birthday present for me <laughs> to watch all these people do. And also it's like, oh, what are we doing for your birthday? It's like, no, we did it. That was enough. Everybody doing a weird thing on the same day. And I was involved in any sort of way, even a small way, is like the best gift I can ever have. So that is fantastic. Also, everybody looking at their environment that they live in in a slightly different way is like a gift I hope everybody can get because you see possibilities. You discover artists that are in your backyard that you didn't know were there. And that's pretty awesome. And so to connect artists with art enthusiasts in place in, in Kansas, in Antarctica, <laughs> which we had at our first Antarctica hide this year, is really fantastic. And that's what a, what a cool thing. Instagram shut down two of my accounts for, for Game of Shrooms because of the word mushroom, because it was called shroom drop at a certain point. People called it shroom drop. And they didn't like that because it would seem like we were promoting hallucinogens or something. So they did that twice. They, they got rid of two accounts full of people. And I was like, okay, that's fine. It's an idea. You can't get the idea down. So I tell people we have this map that goes over the, over the world. People can say who's, who's participating, who isn't. But the map can go away. The map can be taken down. The Instagram can be taken down. But as soon as we have that day, you get the idea. You understand the kind of the, not the rules, but really the spirit of it, which are the best rules, by the way. So refining those quote rules or those guidelines to find just the right word to say, leave no trace, just the right word to make it where it's a hide and seek. Well, it was an art and seek event. Like those little things, art and seek event. It was like, okay, that's good. And then discussing things with Annie, who's an avid hiker. Because she was like, if I go out 
in the woods to escape people and I see a bunch of mushroom art sitting there from a month ago, I'm not going to be very happy, (laughs) you know? And I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right not to be very happy. So what's different about this is we have this component where people hide things, but if nobody finds it, then you have to go back and get it. Everybody's a little shifty and paranoid and happy at the same time and trying to, and they've got this mischievous look about them. It's hilarious around here. We get out the car. We were in Oakland, I remember. And it was the three of us, I think, right? and, our, and our little dog, Ripley. And we got out and we were at this great park. We're like, okay, we're going to do this. It was like a rose garden. So it was like a lot of cement and things like that. But it wasn't like deep in the woods or anything. <laughs> and we said, okay, this is cool. We're going to put one here. And as soon as we got out of the car, people were looking at us. <laughs> we're looking at them. We're like, wait, what? And they're waiting for us to go hide. And they're looking to hide, but they're trying to find them. And it's amazing because some of these pieces get grabbed in like a couple minutes. I'm sorry for the long-winded answer, but that's Game of Shrooms. A lot of discussions with Annie on trying to figure out just the right, like what isn't working, what is working. And also Jason Culp, who does the Google map, he set that up. It's a day where actually, if you're literally looking down, you can find something literally and metaphorically, right? You can look down and find something which ties into how the whole thing started. Again, can't plan that at all. So I like your word parent. So thank you. I'm going to grab that if that's okay. (laughs) So if there's an artist listening and they've never heard of Game of Shrooms Mm -hmm. and they say, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. When does it happen and how do they get on the map? Yeah, well, June 8th. So each year I make, I lose money every year. So this year I hope to lose probably even more because it's been fun. June 8th is the next one. It's the next Game of Shrooms. It's a Saturday. Got to bug Jason about getting the map. See, even with the magazine, people think there's just like fields of people in in these like loft office buildings with exposed beams working on all these things. No, (laughs) no, (laughs) no, it's not like that. It's not like that. Nothing really good is really like that. But Jason, I have to bug him about putting up the latest map. So once he does that, it clears off the old map. And then you you can submit your, you put in your participation. You just put in your, I don't even think you put in your email. I think you just put in your location. You also have to read what the gist of the, the, the event is about. And also know that it's at your own risk because I don't know what's going to happen with your stuff. And I don't want to be responsible. <laughs> but also the, the idea is also that you don't need to be destructive to be subversive. That was something in there. But yeah, they can do that. They can submit their location. Let's say that they're participating. And then also there's an Instagram account where it's Game of Shrooms official. And you can, I, I, I can't post everything. I, just during Game of Shrooms leading up to it, I literally scroll and randomly pick messages that's how many there are it's amazing it's just there's so many people like and wanting to repost and and it's a very good problem to have and i randomly scroll pick scroll pick and i find like okay but i really kind of concentrate on folks who are nowadays who are in arkansas or places where they're the first person they're the pioneer of an area or they're in a country that um like they're in taiwan or they're in a place where not a lot of people are playing because they need more support than people in Oakland. Have you played yet? Anyone? I haven't played yet. Have you, Catherine? Not yet. 
So if people just want to get started, we, we do, and hopefully I could do this again, Trakel, the art supply company. I designed a wooden cutout version mushroom thing. So that is pretty open-ended too. That was the idea. It was based on ceramics that my grandma used to make when she was a ceramic studio. Her, her business card had mushrooms on it and she was obsessed with mushrooms all over the house and things. So I designed this thing and all that money goes to a, a nonprofit arts group too. So, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm certain to not make a dollar ever. <laughs> <laughs> Please, please play it and just try it. And and oh my, I also ask that people make something original. And now that can be whatever medium you want to work in. But people do stuff in knit, ceramic, porcelain. Some some artists who who could normally sell these pieces for a few thousand dollars will make something and hide it, which is really generous. I'm gonna try to do it this year. Please, no, you have yeah. To. yeah. I was Me like, too. oh, it's good that we we interviewed you now because I'm okay. I it's have it on my calendar now. <laughs> yeah. June. It's June. I can do it. Yeah. June. Yeah. Get to know. Do, do two or three if you can. So you don't put all your eggs in one basket, too. That, that's the good way to do it. I think. Okay. Remind yourself why you make the work you make and, and try to just, just take take a day off from the brand building stuff. Artist is brand thing and just make mm-hmm. art and just share it with people if you can. Switching gears a little bit, I'm always interested in hearing about artist journeys. So I kind of ask this question a lot for interviewing people. I'm curious as to what drove you to become an artist in the first place. I'm not sure. I think my my grandfather is a magician and oh, awesome. a, a writer and a character. And my grandmother was a ceramicist who had a business in her home uh, making mm. uh, ceramics. So, you know, you mix all that in. I think that's kind of what ended up doing. I thought I'd be a serious artist. As serious as in, I thought to be an artist, you needed to be serious. I'll put it that way. Right. And toy design said, no, well, this is your job to be goofy. I was always goofy and I always had weird ideas. We started band. If you had a tape machine, like a just an answering machine, then we're a band because we have an answering machine. So right. that's just how it works. <laughs> Yeah, that's how it worked for us back then, because it was nothing to do. We had nothing to do. And so we would create stuff out of nothing. All of my friends became, well, three out of four of them became toy designers. And we all ended up working at Hasbro at one point, which is weird. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Two of us went to toy school. And then my friend Steve is like a math magician, I call him. He's just a genius math guy. But toy design really changed a lot because I could take those ideas and merge them and do something and support myself. Right. Uh, something to support myself, but also with my odd ideas. And then I just kept on making art that way. Right. We've talked about, you've had your hand mm-hmm. in so many art buckets, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I was curious how that has enhanced your career. And if you think it's important for an artist to explore multiple avenues. It's bad, actually. It's bad, there's, okay. There's, yeah, there's like four or five other things uh-huh. That you don't know about that I do as well. Uh-huh. Like I said, if I have an idea, I'll do it. If it's an animation thing, if it's a movie idea, if it's another, I will do it. And you can't do that. Or maybe you can. Yeah. But it's just the result. So if you like the results, if you see what I'm doing, you like it. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. But, but I don't suggest it. I don't. The magazine wasn't helpful to our art careers mm-hmm. at all. It wasn't because people tend to know people in a singular way. When's the last time you heard Billy Bob Thornton's band? Right. <laughs> so it's it's hard. It's it's actually not the healthiest way to live, I think. But then there's a part of it that is really kind of 
who I am with working on lots of different things because I have like ideas. On a bad day, I'll say I'm master of none. On a good day, no, well, my, I'm a person who wants to be like a nexus of ideas. Okay, well, that's good. That's fine. I have so many ideas. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. I wake up and I'm like, okay, I got a new idea for Monopoly. I want to do this painting. I want to use stuff in the garage. I got this over here and I'm going to email this thing about doing the show. That's whatever. And, and I'll just, that'll be the first three minutes I wake up. So I know in the morning, that's when I want to do all that stuff. Right around three o'clock, I start talking about the Mona Lisa burning up in ash and things like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I wake up pretty positive usually, and that's kind of how it goes. Yeah, and and then reality sets in, and and then honestly, right around nighttime, that's when I start getting a little bit more like, oh, okay, I want to be immersed in something. Remember, I did this for this animation idea I had, where it ended up getting it was optioned by one of Michael Bay's companies. Okay, so wow, okay, that sounds glamorous, but it wasn't. It wasn't stuff, and it took years. I had this idea. I literally was on the floor and I went, oh no, we were walking around and it's like, and then so many years collaborators and I've got great screenwriters involved and I got it and I just built this thing and it becomes this thing. And I just couldn't let it, this idea just go out into the woods by itself and starve to death. Right. A lot of things I've made, you can never see because they're in a vault somewhere or I get a certain amount of money. But if I ever did the math, the money wouldn't work out. I'd be like, yeah. oh, wow, okay. Oh, wow, that's $20,000. I was like, yeah, well, how many trips to LA was that? And now somebody at Nickelodeon owns it. Okay. Or, or Cartoon Network. You know, that happens. But I'd love to talk about your current art. Mm. Your recent art installation, I feel like it's evolved to another level. And I read that you described it as an upcycled garden project. Yeah, well, thanks for saying uh, another level. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> it has. I feel like. There's artists, like we think about, there's just the basic concept of a painting. But I think when artists start doing installations, we're talking about museum art, when we're talking Mm. about installations Mm -hmm. and and an environment that's encompassing. Mm. So could you please describe to our audience your newest art? Well, Upcycled Garden, it's it's funny. I was doing pretty good with, uh, like my painting sales were doing great with sales at a certain point. But then I was like, well, why give people what they want to buy? (laughs) <laughs> Let's make something that is really hard to keep in your house and uh, and confuses people. <laughs> I think that's what you got to do whenever you get some amount of success. I think you need to change it up, switch up your style. And then, no, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Push the boundaries. What, what happens? I'm just like, ah, what fun is that? Right. What fun is having a collector base? Of that's just boring. Yeah, well, right. You're yeah. being disruptive, right? <laughs> Really quickly, I realized a, a while ago that I'm I'm not going to paint as good as James Jean or Mark Ryden or, or people like that. I'm not I'm not going to. So when I have a choice, I take the choice that's more me. And so whatever that is, I'll go me. Whether and even if the aesthetics aren't retail friendly or collector friendly, I'll go. Well, this is more me. This is where I'm going. So I'm going to choose me every time now. And that that's how the garden happened. We had a succulent that was growing really tall. So at the end, I don't know if you know much about succulents, but at the end of a succulent's lifespan or something that grows this big sprouty middle part that goes up into the air sometimes, and it could go 10 feet tall, 20 feet tall, it can go really tall. It's dying spurt or something. It does that. And then that thing dies and then it seeds off, like all the different plants come out. We had a succulent that was doing that and it looked amazing. It was amazing. So I put flyers around town saying, come see Timothy, the succulent. And uh, 
limited time only, you know, or named it Timothy. Yeah, it was a, yeah, 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 yeah. Just the first name that came into my head, you know. Uh, you know, Timothy. We all know Timothy. So um, and it was the time where everybody's walking around the block but masks on, and we were like in some weird Sims video game where everybody's going on the other opposite side of the street from each other. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. It was really weird. And, and we because we didn't know if we were gonna start bleeding from our eyes or what. We didn't know. Right. So it was like a weird video game where everybody was an NPC, right? Everybody was just kind of doing their thing. So I, I said, you know, put these flyers out. I put up like 10. And the response to Timothy was amazing. So people were coming by, taking photos with Timothy. They drive by, hey Timothy. <laughs> and the thing is, I find out it wasn't even the biggest succulent in our neighborhood. <laughs> I mean, it was impressive. just mediocre. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty good. I mean, the, the the sprout went to the top of the, by a roof. Like it was really that. Oh, okay. It was tall, but I, certainly we have neighbors who have bigger ones, but everybody knew Timothy and it was just like, they were waving to Timothy and Annie was out there doing gardening and people were just like, excuse me, but I need to get a picture with Timothy. And she's like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. And just like, don't be rude about it. <laughs> it was just funny. And so the idea of using what you have, it was just like a revelation to me. I was just like, oh, we're gonna, I'm going to use what I have. And the idea of, to me, Campbell Soup Cans, after Campbell Soup Cans that Warhol did, we'll never look at Campbell Soup Cans the same way. I love that, that idea of that art is around us and we just look at things a little bit differently. Same with people. Appreciate what you have. Be grateful for what you have. But also look at it, like really take a look at what you're what you're doing and consuming Long story long, you don't need to ask permission when you have everything in front of you. So we had cardboard boxes. We were paying people to get rid of the cardboard boxes because we had so many. We're like, oh, screw that. So frugality and circumstance. So I started making these this kind of growth uh, out of whatever. I was going to put it in the park and have another flyer that said, come see the amazing weird thing. And, you know, have kids. We could all lift it up there. Like a giant balloon kind of thing. One of those big balls, you know, like in the 70s movies we used to watch in Sesame Street. Yeah. Like bring right. it over. That was, the, I guess that was the thinking in hindsight, but that didn't happen. And also how do I get it out of the door? <laughs> right. <laughs> this place, Uma Gallery, who is a converted mortuary. Donna over there is fantastic. And anyways, really great. And she's like, well, I'm doing the psychedelic show. Do you want something? And I was like, well, why show you paintings? You want these weird little growth things. I can make more of them. And I brought them over there and they were kind of half done, half baked. And she's like, no, this is great. Let's do that. And so then I started making and making more of them and making more, and just making them coincidentally to fit through a door. And that was just upcycled. And it was interesting. I was making stuff out of thinner cardboard and thicker cardboard. And the thinner cardboard, if you turn them over, you'll see stuff that has like COVID tests and, and gluten-free waffles. And all your things that you've consumed over a course of a month are actually made the sculpture. And I was like, mm -hmm. wow, this is fun. So then I was like, well, I could take an institution's cardboard waste and actually make it into the exhibition itself. And we could have people help me. The helping part is a little hard. I haven't really gotten that too much. <laughs> Everything right now has been made by me. So that went to Brea Gallery and then it went to Main Street LA. That's an interesting story. <laughs> we don't have time. And then that went to Titmouse Animation Studio as a okay. kind of joke. So animation friends, one of the guys there was like, hey, let's hang out sometime. And I was like, oh, you're, you know, he's a sweet guy. But I was like, you don't really want to hang out. <laughs> but I was like, <laughs> you're just saying that. Honestly, he's really sweet. He's actually does want to hang out. Yeah. And I said, well, and he's like, no, seriously, like oh, you're fun. And uh, we'll get to know each other or something. And I said, okay, well, I have to go down to this space in LA and I have to bring it home or put it in storage or something, or I could put it in your lobby. 
right, he, right. And, he, and he was like, that sounds like a great idea. We'll make a party out of it. I said, oh, wow. Okay. So they had their first art exhibition in their lobby at Titmouse where they make Rick and Morty and all this sort of stuff. And they, you know, they said, what kind of snacks do you want? And I was like, I'd be very specific. Like I had a writer, you know, I was like saying, I want green tea Kit Kats. I want this. And I, <laughs> and I was very being very silly. And they had all that stuff for me. They're oh, like, gosh. I don't think we could, I don't think we can do that. And and I was like, I was just joking. And then they, because I was like, hey, the joking's gotten me this far. And they had a popcorn machine and they were wow. Oh, oh they were so nice. And they had special Kit Kats just for me. And <laughs> this is so nice. And anyways, that ended up going over to the Meow Wolf to Omega Mart over there. And we had for Earth Day, we had a workshop with people. And where is Omega Mart? It's in Vegas. Yeah. Okay. It's in Vegas. So they have a, like a supermarket there with like square peas and meat that looks like dessert, dessert that looks like meat and everything's met. Like there's a problem with the matrix, like something happened <laughs> and they have all these cardboard boxes there. So we ended up taking some of their cardboard boxes. So if you flip over these sculptures, you'll see that they're made out of those spoofy, weird, alien-possessed products on one side, and then the art on the other. So it went from there, then it went to this library, and it was actually the fanciest, nicest place I've ever shown my work. <laughs> it was like a, a round Monet um, water lily scenario. Oh, wow. Yeah, but it was small and intimate and like pe- like, like a meditation space. It was fantastic. Whoa. Yeah. So that was there for a bunch of months. And then it, and then now it's going to be shown at a place in San Francisco run by my friend Tom, who does this thing, Art Dow Gallery. So it's going to be shown in San Francisco uh, next to the Margaret Keene Gallery and the Dr. Seuss Gallery. Oh, cool. And I was like, next to the Dr. Seuss and Margaret Keene. These are all both people I'm really fond of. So I was just like, oh, that's fantastic. So I'm doing an installation there. So I get to first see all the stuff in one place. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's going to be the reception is on March 3rd. And then it moves to uh, St. Louis to the City Museum. It's called City Museum. So it's going to the City Museum. So I'm taking the train to St. Louis. So it'll be at the City Museum uh, March 1st. Oh, cool. And then I don't know where it's going after that. It has yet to be in storage. It's never been in storage. Wow. It's only getting, it's only getting larger. <laughs> so it's I, just I growing. Don't... Yes. Well, that would be perfect cool. for city museum then. Yeah. So sorry about the 20 minute explanation. But that's... <laughs> well, real quick with the, the mm-hmm. sculpture. So we know they're made out of paper. So obviously they can't live outside. They're yeah. an inside mm-hmm. sculpture and they're with really vibrant colors. So mm-hmm. what type of paint do you use? I try to use leftover mural paint. And that's how it started. Okay. Leftover mural paint from the, the high fructose store, actually. And then uh, I was going to the bargain area over at Home Depot when people make uh, the wrong colors and they don't want them. So usually the, 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 there's a jug of, you know, a dollar paint, $3 paint or something. But sometimes now when I'm working with paper, leftover paper or experimenting with actual paper, I, it's hard not to use like, oh, I really want that really bright golden color, you know? So right. I'll, I will buy some paint, sometimes leftover spray paint, though that's been really fun. Paint pens actually is, I found that when I'm doing the workshops, the paint pens are best because I get too, I get kind of too excited. And when I'm in public and I'm doing, they literally put me on stage at the workshop and I've got a neck issue that comes and goes, it could get really bad and I can kind of get stuck or shake sometimes. So it's neurological and 
So the paint pen helps me with where actually painting in public is just a little much. So I'll really use anything that's around. And that's the fun part is you'll kind of cycle back and go, you'll take a, a motif that I'm just messing with, make something that was flat packed or something so that I can, because they're sending like a, like one of those pod trailer thing, those pods. Oh like yeah. I pull that up. And I was like, yeah. well, I was like, well, so I can only go so big. So I've been training it. I, but I also don't like to plan anything. So I've just been kind of messing around subconsciously, but I, I refuse to use a ruler. I think we're on to our lightning round. Yeah, okay, lightning let's do round. that. Sorry, I'll okay. try to be as lightning as possible. <laughs> <laughs> just a quick series of questions. And first thing off the top of your head. Mm-hmm. So what is your favorite art tool? Hey, wow. Oh, oh yeah. One of those those liner brushes. Yeah, since Sid Mead taught me how to paint and breathe at the same time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he taught me how to do that. To breathe. once it, once he did that, my Annie actually really told me how to do thin lines, but then Sid Sid taught me how to breathe while I paint. My suggestion is to when you meet one of your heroes, bring cookies. Bring cookies. Bring, bring, bring cookies. Yeah. Okay. I brought cookies. So any type uh, of cookie? Just yeah, cookies, fancy cookies. Just, okay. Yeah, they'll keep, <laughs> they'll keep you around longer. Bougie nice. cookies. <laughs> I'm not leaving till all these cookies are eaten. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite paint? Paint? Oh, favorite paint is a cell vinyl paint that they no longer make. It's called Cartoon Color with an O-U-R. Ooh. Yeah, they were handmade by this family for years. They for uh, cell animation paint. And a lot of artists oh, nice. use this oh. stuff. It's fantastic, but every everybody knows who has these that you have to shake them up every three months or they solidify and separate. Oh, um, but so you have person, to go through and yeah, the person got sick. Who's who is the person? So you would order them and they'd say, "What tint do you want?" And because every animation, everything is specific, right? Right. So, but this stuff is fantastic. Flat. Everybody, I know many artists. The the black they made was the best black you ever. I don't mm-hmm. really use black very much. Boy. It was just like the best opaque, light opaque. colors over dark colors. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Wow. That's Fantastic. Fa- fabulous. Yeah. Animals or people? Oh, well, we're all animals. So true. There you go. There you <laughs> okay. Go. That's my answer. We should have put animals, people, or plants. Yeah. And, and I would say yes. Yes. <laughs> Computer or paper? I'd go with paper, please. For sure. I try not to spend as much. Yeah. I will yeah. go out of my way not to be on a computer now. Who are your top three artist influences? Well, Annie's a big one because she knows where I came from, where I want to go. She's just huge for right. every everything. So as far as influence, I just, even though we have different aesthetics, I think she knows where I'm going and where I'm going and where I came from, for sure. I like Kusama's stuff. I like... Um, Alexander Calder is just the playfulness is just inspiring. I discovered this guy, Jean Dubuffet. I don't know if you've ever seen his stuff. Mm-hmm. I wasn't aware of his work until pandemic. And I just was like, wow, I was doing things that was similar to what he was doing. And I had no idea. I have to look him up. Yeah. yeah. He brought art brute into uh, to being a term. Which okay. Became outsider art. So he would collect art. He not only was he an artist, late in his life which is great for us who are getting older but also mm-hmm. he uh, collected art from people from insane asylums and different and from 
at the time mental wards and different and hospitals and things like that and he collected them and saved them and became the biggest collector of that of outsider work as well i like sid mead love my dr seuss stuff but also yeah i know that's more than three but that's okay (laughs) (laughs) it's hard to narrow it down mushroom of choice yeah just just a general shiitake is nice you know okay that's fine i'm not it's funny i don't know everything some people have put in packets of mushrooms in my pockets uh, out in the public (laughs) and you're a little i don't yeah uh... but i've never done any mushrooms ever i've never any alcohol or coffee i forgot and he's like you haven't had coffee i'm like coffee i haven't had coffee and it's like no i had tiramisu i like tiramisu but i've never i don't drink coffee i've never had a beer or one you know or anything Uh i had communion once once or twice once or twice but they told me that was blood of somebody so yeah (laughs) that's not really yeah you're like oh this is interesting other than being an artist what would your dream job be well i think the thing i would be best at is coming up with horribly non-nutritional snack foods oh cool yeah i I really (laughs) I, i had some jobs like that when i was doing freelance coming up with with things like that yeah and i was really good at it yeah (laughs) It's really You're the good. idea man. <laughs> it was like that. It was yeah, yeah it was really good good. I could say that was I was really, really, really into it and really good at it. And and it's it's horrible food. It's totally the worst thing. It's not very good for humanity, but I was really kind of good at it. And so I think that would be that would be it. Yes, you know. Finally, if you could ask one question of any artist, living or dead, who would that artist be and what question would you ask? Huh, that's a hard one. It uh, is. How would you answer? I don't know. Lately, because it, it's multi-tiered there with things, because I think it's not the one you're most fond of but more most interesting because like I wouldn't want to ask a question to Dali because you wouldn't get any answers that were right and he was kind of a a jerk right he's so (laughs) self-absorbed it wouldn't even matter right maybe I ever want to talk to one of those impressionists or something because those guys are it's it's funny how that we've relegated them to the calendar world yeah back then they were like punk rock and impressionism was was a term of the opposite of endearment. It was a it, it was an insult. Exactly. Like yeah. punk, punk rockers, right? So they're like, oh, yeah. you're impressionist. You kind of want to talk to one of those folks, I think. And also the invention of the brush that they had at the time. Correct. With the flat brushes enabled them to do that. I'm not a big fan of Rothko, but then I became fans of the artist. Right. The, and all the themselves. misconceptions I had about the art. Artist art was usually not about the artist it wasn't the artist that's probably fault to me mm-hmm. fault, but I had no problem with the artist but you know it's the it's the curators and the docents and the historians who created boundaries between the art and the and the people right Rothko was a crazy kind of communist guy and for so his work selling for all this money for elite people is was the opposite of what he was trying to do Right. Which is, I find that really interesting. So you know what? I'm going to ask him a question. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. There's my answer. Okay. Cool. Great. So where can we find you online, Adam? Uh, On Instagram, I put 
goofy things up or updates. I'm not the best with things like that. My site, yumfactory.com, rarely gets updated. Instagram is probably a good, but just keep in mind, you're also going to hear uh, punk rock music in the background from 20-year-olds who live down the street and play the Gilman. Um, nice. <laughs> you're going to hear all sorts of weird things. Or I, I just, I think I sang a song to a Christmas ornament this morning to that Aww. was sent to us. Uh, that's on my Instagram. <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah, you're going to see things like that in there. So find that. And uh, if you're in San Francisco and in, in uh, when is that? What, February 3rd? Come on down to see the upcycled garden. Uh, that would be kind of interesting. And, and St. Louis, that would be fun. We're doing a group show next year. High Fructose is doing a group show next year in LA too. So keep an eye out for that. Oh, very cool. Or the, not next year, this year. I'll have to say this year. Yeah, it's this year. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Right? Well, and thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, uh, thank you yeah, for coming on. Thank you. I appreciate I your time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we really do. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Um, of course. Of course. We asked random art connoisseurs to try our new thirst quencher. Wow, that's really good. Am I dreaming? No, really. Pinch me. Incredible. Where can I get that? That's tea and canvas. Tea and canvas. I need more. Catherine Moore exceptionally blends the supernatural dark curiosities and pop media, filtered through the finest Belgian linen to produce the tea and canvas line, the tastiest art known locally to the San Francisco Bay Area, and now is celebrated as a worldwide sensation. Teaandcanvas.com makes available original art and high-quality prints 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Tea and Canvas, when you have a taste for the dark side. Drink up at teaandcanvas.com. Hello and welcome back. Well, that was so great. That was so nice of Ada to join us today. Yeah, I really enjoyed speaking with him and learning about his journey and all the things that he's done. It's like pretty impressive. It's yeah. so impressive. He's a great, great storyteller. I love the story about Timothy the cactus. Yeah. That was great. I loved, I loved hearing about, about that. And this, yeah, that was the perfect lockdown quarantine times situation was to have people come visit to meet Tim the cactus. It was very cool. One thing that stuck with me that will probably stick with me for a long time was just basically be fearless. It's, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to put this idea here. And if they take it, they take it. And if they don't, they don't. You know, it's just right. He has all these ideas and he just wants them out in the world and he's not afraid to say them he goes into pitch meetings or whatever and i'm gonna just dump all these ideas on you and we'll see sometimes they don't like it and sometimes they do and i think that's a testament to why he's had the career he's had you know he was he was a toy designer and then he ran a very successful magazine that's still going which is high fructose and if you're an artist you know high fructose it's like everyone right. knows high fructose you know, and he does Game of Shrooms and then he has his own artwork and he does, he just has his hand and, and, and then what, what was it? The Michael Bay thing, <laughs> like the, the movie or show right. that was, and then that was sold 
there was so much stuff I couldn't write down fast enough when I was keeping my notes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's fabulous. And I love his art. Just as an artist, he's amazing. I love that idea. I didn't realize, I mean, I have notes here calling him Fearless Attaboy, Mm -hmm. but I didn't even fully register that possibly some of his success is due to the fact that he is just so fearless. Right. It's like, yeah, he's like, he's just going to, you know, yeah, force put it all out not there. to be yeah. reckoned with. Yeah. And I, you know, he was saying how he'll just beat an idea to death, but I don't think that that's a bad thing. I mean, just because you're told no now, if you keep going at it, that doesn't mean you're going to be told next month or next year or exactly. Or you just haven't found the right audience for it yet. Maybe this person told you no, but that person over there won't, (laughs) you know? I think that's exactly right. That's a testament to why he has a successful, fascinating, gorgeous magazine. And he did create a game of shrooms, which sounds like. And to be fair, he did create high fructose with Annie Owens. He did. He was very good to, he's like, oh, this is not my, it's me and Annie. (laughs) Right. I can't wait to speak to Annie and have her get a vibe on her energy and her how she feels about all <laughs> right right yeah so that's yes. right he was very clear very clear high fructose is not just him it is very much her yes <laughs> yeah which is just fascinating the two of them maybe we'll have to ask both of them if they'll humor us and come on together <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> he just has his hand in so many different things and I know he said he's like I don't think it's a good thing <laughs> because he's pulled in so many directions but I think as we've been doing this for a couple of years, I think there are quite a few artists out there that have their hands in many different buckets, so to speak. Oh, yeah, definitely. I don't know if they're quite as famous or noticeable. Right. As Attaboy, but yeah, I, I agree. I feel like in this day and age, use as many avenues as you can to generate revenue streams. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. It was really interesting. And I wonder if that's why, because he has so many wonderful ideas and he's fearless in terms of approaching people and saying, look at me. Hey, what do you think? What do you think about this idea? How about this? How about this? It reminds me a little bit of Mike Cuff too, because he is so fearless and he does do that. I wonder if that's why now he has this traveling art installation for Mm -hmm. his new body of work going to Las Vegas and Sacramento and San Francisco. It's all just, you know, you would never think that. Yeah. And I love the upcycled, it's like upcycled art. He uses leftover mural paint and leftover paper cardboard and leftover paint from Home Depot and paint pens, all that stuff. So that's such a good message to use and recycle and upcycle stuff. I think that's awesome. Less waste. (laughs) It was. It was all really fascinating. And I've even started sketching ideas for my Game of Shrooms piece. Oh, yay! <laughs> so I don't miss it. <laughs> don't miss it. I know. I know. I have to start doing mine, too. As I said we would do it. I, I will do it. I will do at least one. I'd like to do a couple, but I'd, I, I will do at least one. Yeah, that, that was very cool. Very exciting. Very interesting person. Yes, for sure. Okay. Well, where can we find you online, Catherine? You can find me um, on my website, which is tncanvas.com. And you can find me on social media, on Instagram, threads, and Facebook, all at tncanvas. Great. And I'm at skiesart.com or skiesartshop on Instagram and threads. And please follow and like Off the Easel podcast wherever you listen to it. 
And as Alexander Calder once said, I paint with shapes. So thank you for listening. Stay safe and happy Happy creating. creating.